Last week, the sanctuary looked a little different <laughs> than it does this week. Uh, there were six of us here, and uh, grateful that you were able to stay home, grateful for technology to be able to videotape uh, the service uh, and the sermon, sorry, and to share that with you. And for those of you who didn't see it, or for those of you who did, last week uh, I talked about a rich young man who came to Jesus wanting eternal life. He wanted to inherit eternal life, and Jesus loved this rich young man enough to see into his heart, to know he needed to first let go of his love for money so that he could embrace the love that God has for him. And so Jesus kindly says to the man, go sell your possessions and then come follow me. And this rich young ruler, sadly, couldn't quite let go of his love for money. And so he left sad. No more sad, I'm sure, than Jesus was, that he couldn't accept this beautiful offer. Now last week I mused on how that guy's life went. I have no details about how his life turned out, but I wondered if for the next 30 years... He just went on enjoying his money if he bought himself nice meals and went on nice trips and bought himself fancy clothing. And for the next 30 years, maybe he just lived high on the hog. The problem would be that if God never intervened, that at the end of those 30 years, he would be raised from the dead not to everlasting life, but to everlasting shame and contempt. But what if he wasn't? What if after 20 years, he starts to realize this money thing isn't really all it's cracked up to be? What if after his conversation with Jesus, he does go on and he buys himself nice clothes and he goes on nice trips and pretty soon he begins to realize that this doesn't actually satisfy. That this money thing is not all it's cracked up to be. And after all, remember, he's a rich, young man. How many of us when we're young have made decisions that we were sure were right at the time? that we were confident we could handle whatever consequences went with that decision only later in life to realize, oh, I think I've made a huge mistake. What if this rich young man realizes that he does want eternal life, that money doesn't actually satisfy his soul? What if he decides what Jesus was offering him is better? And he should take that offer. Well, the problem would be is that if the man came back 20 years later to try to talk to Jesus and say, look, I'm sorry, I messed up. Can I have eternal life? I, I'll, I'll give, I want to get rid of the money. I want eternal life. The problem is he wouldn't be able to find Jesus. You see, in Matthew 20, Jesus is only a few months from Easter. Just like right now, we're only a few months from our celebration of Easter. In Matthew 20, Jesus is only, or sorry, Matthew 19, Jesus is only a few months from his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, 
and his ascension to heaven. If 20 years later this young man comes to the realization, he wouldn't be young at that point anymore, comes to the realization that he wants eternal life and he comes back to try to find Jesus to say, hey, I was a foolish young man, I made a mistake. Could I have that offer of eternal life? He wouldn't be able to find Jesus. Jesus wouldn't be present on the earth for him to talk to. But you know who would be present? At least if it's 20 years after this point. Peter. Peter was there for the initial conversation. He sees this rich young ruler make a very foolish decision and Peter says, look, we chose something different than that guy. And Jesus says, you made the right choice. Well, what happens if this guy, this rich young man, comes back 20 years later and he finds Peter and asks him, I made a huge mistake, what should I do? Well, Jesus decides to follow up the story in Matthew 19 with a story in Matthew 20 to tell Peter how he should respond if that guy comes back 20 years later. He also is telling us the story today. Because if you've ever decided, you know what? I've come to Jesus late in the game. How does God feel about me? Or maybe you've heard many times that Jesus loves you and wants to give you eternal life. And you've said no many, many times. And you wonder, is there any hope left for me? Jesus has got a story for us this morning. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. Matthew, chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'd love you to see the story Jesus told as he told it, written down in Matthew 20. So if you take one of the Bibles from the rack in front of you, they look like this, and you turn to page 801. If you turn to page 801, you'll be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. The story we looked at last week about the rich young ruler is in Matthew 19. This is the follow-up to that story. And in Matthew 20, we're going to look at verses 1 to 16. Jesus tells a parable. Now, it's important to note that a parable is a made-up story designed to teach a point. And the important reason why I'm bringing that up is that Jesus is not telling a true story. He's telling a parable, which means he is in control of every detail so that the parable is written exactly the way he wants it to be written so he can say exactly what he wants to say. He has designed this story from scratch because he wants to communicate something to us. So listen to the story that Jesus wrote just for us today. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. 
About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus tells a pretty straightforward story. It's about a guy who wants to go hire workers. Now this is harvest season. Probably this is a guy who owns a small farm and he needs to hire some extra help. It's pretty typical that people would work to do this from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It was a 12-hour day. There were usually places in the towns or villages where if you were willing to hire yourself out as a day laborer, farmers like this could go to that spot and see people who want to be hired and then hire them to come work for the day uh, in their far- at their farm. The standard wage was a denarius. That's about a day's wage. That's what you should expect to get paid for working from sort of 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And so Jesus tells this story, and it's pretty straightforward in its sort of initial application. But along the way, you get the sense that uh, this guy's doing something slightly differently because he goes out at 6 a.m., hires workers. Then he goes back at nine, sees people that don't have anything to do, so he hires some more people. Noon, three, and five. And the way Jesus is telling this story is is that we are meant as readers to kind of separate these into two groups. Group number one is the group that's hired at 6 a.m. And then everybody else kind of goes into group two. So the people hired at nine and at noon and at three and at five, we're just going to lump them all together and call them group two. So group one is hired the way you would normally expect. They're hired early in the morning. And, uh, you know, the the workers agree to a wage, a denarius for a day's work. Group number two is actually kind of unique. And there's two things that are interesting about group number two. These are the people hired at nine, noon, three, and five. We've lumped them all together. Group number two. The first thing that's unique about group number two is verse four. The owner doesn't agree to a wage with them. In group one, he says, come work in my vineyard and I'll pay you a denarius. They agree on the wages. Group two, notice what he says. You also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. 
Now the word for right is dikaios in Greek, and it simply means I'll pay you what's correct. I'll pay you what is fitting. I will pay you what is keeping with good character. That's what that word means. That's what is right. We get the word dikaosune in Greek, which is our word in the Bible for righteousness. The owner says, I will treat you right. Come work for me. The second thing to notice about this other group is that the way Jesus tells the story, and again, this is why it's so important that a parable, he's controlling all the details of the story. The way he tells the story is the owner is hiring the workers not because he needs work, but because they need something to do. So he goes back to the spot, not because he's like, man, we got so much work here, we're never gonna get this all done. He goes back to the spot and he sees people standing around with nothing to do. And the problem is, if you're a day laborer and you don't labor for the day, there's no money. So he sees people standing around at nine and at noon and at three and at five and they need work. And so he invites them to come work for him, not because he needs their work, but because they need work to do. Now, I've said both of those things about group number two, because the purpose of this parable is in verse 15. Jesus wants us to understand that the landowner who represents God is a generous God. Verse 15, are you envious because I am generous? That God is a generous God and group number two helps us to see his generosity. First of all, from the fact that they didn't, he didn't need them to come work, but they needed the work. And so this landowner has gone out and said, hey, look, you got to have something. You need something to do. Because it's interesting. Again, Jesus is controlling the story. It's not like he goes to interview these people like, well, we haven't found much work, but we've been getting some errands done. We've been doing some other things. It's been a productive time. No, all these workers are just simply standing around with nothing to do. Their lives are wasting away. And the landowner sees them. And nothing is sadder than a day labor without any labor. Because at the end of the day, there won't be any money. There'll be no way to pay for dinner. There'll be no resources. And so in his generosity, he doesn't need more workers, but they need more work. And so he invites them in. He's like, come, I'll find something for you to do. We'll figure out something. You need a job. Come to my vineyard. I'll find you something to do. Again, Jesus is painting this as a generous God. He's not trying to like, well, the farmer's trying to get more farms and he's trying to be more productive and he's trying to become number one farmer in the whole region so he's found a way to get more workers. No, his, far, his vineyard's gonna be just fine. But these people need work. And so the landowner who represents God says, I'll find something for you to do. The second way that he's generous, which is the kind of the most obvious way, 
is he pays them more than anybody expects them to get paid. Now remember, he didn't agree to a wage with group two. What did he say to them? I will pay you what is right. But of course that begs the question, right according to whose standard? According to society's standard, according to logic, according to the way you and I would read this story, according to the way they would have lived this story, what should have happened is their wage should have been prorated. It works that way today. It worked that way back then. Meaning, take for example the ones who come at noon, they should have gotten half a denarius because they only work half the day. So society's standards are such that, hey, what you should expect is some sort of prorated wage. A denarius is what you would expect for the whole day. You only worked half a day. You should only, what is right according to society, according to logic, is that you would get half a denarius. But what does the owner give them? A full day's wage. Why? Well, a day laborer needs a day's laborer's wage to live on. This is, not, this is how we know God is not a capitalist. You would not run a business like this in a free market economy and expect to succeed. But God is not trying to convince us that he's a capitalist. God is trying to convince us he's generous. The people need a full day's wage. That's how they're going to survive. This is what they've budgeted for. They got to buy their clothes. They got to feed their kids. That's why they're standing there all day waiting for work because they've got nothing else they're going to do. The landowner comes and sees and says, yes, I know you only worked half the day, but your need is such that you need to be paid for the whole day, even though you didn't work the whole day. And so in his generosity, no consultant would ever tell him to do this. In his generosity, he pays everybody a full day's wage. Well, that creates a problem for group number one. Remember group number one? They're the ones that got hired at 6 a.m. They're the ones who worked all day. They did all the work and they did all the labor. And so group number one starts grumbling. One person in particular seems to have said something. And so the landowner says in verse 13, he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Do you see that word unfair? It's the verb form, dikaiao, which is what we had the adjective for in verse 4. He's saying, I have not treated you wrong, meaning I have done what is right with regard to you. Now, at first reading, you might think that the landowner's kind of taking this legalistic sort of point of view, like, hey, you agreed to work for Denarius. You could have held out for more. You should have had a better negotiator. That's not what's happening here at all. He is not saying, hey, look, I treated you justly. He's saying what he was saying in verse 4. 
I've treated you in accordance with my character the same way I treated group two. See, group two, the reason why the landowner who represents God is so generous is because God's character is generous. To pay them a denarius for less than a day's work is not right by society's point of view, but it is right by the character of God. God is a generous God. God is a loving God. God is a God who does not treat us the way our sins deserve. God is lavishly generous to us. So it is right to pay a denarius for less than a full day's work. Now God has turned his sights to group number one and says, I have also been right by you. Not legalistically right, but generously right. Which raises the question, how is God generous to group number one? We get how he's generous to group two. But how is he being generous to group one? Well, let me ask you this question. And you don't need to shout out the answer, but just think about it for a second. At this time, how do you think the emperor of Rome got his vineyards picked? Or how do you think Herod the Great, who's dead by this point, but sort of lived before this, how do you think he got his vineyards picked? The emperor of Rome has vineyards. Herod the Great's got vineyards. Do you think the emperor of Rome or Herod the Great went out into the local villages and hired day laborers to go work in their vineyards? They did not. Rich people did not do that. Day laborers were for people who owned smaller farms who needed some quick help. And so they would go and hire someone to help them on the farm. The rich and the powerful did not hire day laborers. So how do you think the emperor of Rome got his vineyards picked? Slaves. How do you think Herod the Great got his vineyards picked? Slaves. They forced people to do work. Now, if you step out of this parable a little bit, the landowner represents God, who is far more powerful than the emperor of Rome. How should God have gotten his vineyard picked? He could have just forced us to do it. If you step out even further from the parable, It's God. He doesn't need his vineyard pick. He can just say the word and it's all harvested. He doesn't need any workers. So how is God being generous to group number one? By hiring them in the first place and paying them anything. You see, in this parable, the landowner represents God. We are the workers, and the denarius is the gift of eternal life. When we existed in the Garden of Eden, God gave us an order, like you might give to a slave. Don't eat from that tree. What did we choose to do? 
we formed a union and said, nobody's ordering us around. We're not gonna be anybody's slaves. And we made ourselves into day laborers. You're not getting stuff from us without paying for it. But guess what the problem is? If you don't work for God in this universe, who are you gonna work for? Who's gonna pay anything? And rather than break the strike, rather than fire us, rather than destroy humanity and create an obedient group of people, rather than be done with Adam and Eve, what did God choose to do? He chose to hire us. He chose to give us eternal life. He chose to invite us to come back into his vineyard and to work, even when we told him we were never going to do it. This is the point of this story, is that God is generous to everybody. (laughs) He's generous to group one. He's generous to group two. None of us deserve eternal life. We have all gone astray. We have all said to God, you're not telling me what to do. We have all declared our independence. We have all said, no way. I'm not obeying. But God in his kindness knows that while we set up our protest in the center of the city saying nobody's telling us what to do, the problem is we're going to die. There's no life. There's no money. There's no way to be fed. And so God in his generosity comes to that spot and sees all of us standing there whether it's 6 a.m. or 9 a.m. or noon or 3 p.m. or 5 p.m. All of us are in the same trouble. If he doesn't hire us, how are we going to work? If he doesn't give us what we need, how will we survive? That's why he pays everybody a denarius. It's because we all need the same thing. And whether you start at 6 a.m. or you start at 5 p.m., Without him, there is no life. So what does this parable mean for us? It means that no matter how you want to think about this, God is a generous God. And whether you come to faith early in life or you come to faith with the very last breath you take, His generosity is such, it's not what we've earned, it's what we need. None of us have done enough work, even those who joined at 6 a.m. None of us have done enough work. And so God is not paying us according to what we deserve. He is paying us according to what we need, and what we need is life. And so if you come to faith at age four or you come to faith at age 104, the gift of God to you and to I is his generous gift of eternal life. And if you say no when he asked at 6 a.m. and if you say no when he asked at 9 a.m. and if you say no when he asked at noon and if you say no when he asked at three, if at five, you think, what was I doing What was I thinking? 
I pursued all this other stuff. I went after alcohol. I went after money. I went after sex. I went after success. I went after comfort. I went after pleasure. And nothing satisfied. If at 5 p.m. and the day is almost done, and you realize, I've been standing around doing nothing. Nothing. I made nothing of my life. Except a mess. If at 5 p.m. the landowner comes and says, would you like work? Would you like life? If at that point you say yes, you're going to get the same thing everybody else gets. A free gift from a generous God of life that never ends. I think one of the reasons Jesus tells this story is that just in case that rich young ruler 20 years later comes back and he finds Peter and he says, man, I should have done what you did. I should have left that stuff behind and I should have done what you did. Peter's like, I got a story to tell you. Because the amazing thing is, in the story of the rich young ruler, Jesus doesn't ask for the man's money. Right? He asks him to sell his possessions and give it to somebody else. He's not asked for it for himself. He says, sell your possessions and come follow me. What Jesus wants is not the rich young ruler's money. He wants a relationship with him. And if after 20 years this guy comes to his senses, Jesus still wants a relationship with him. And even if all of the money is gone, Jesus is still there. And effectively what this story is saying, anytime, anywhere, for any reason, no matter what you've done in the past, if you want to be with me, I will take it. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's what this story says to us today. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter how many times you said no. It doesn't matter how many foolish decisions you made when you were young or old young. Jesus is saying to you, I love you. Anytime, anywhere, for any reason, under any circumstance, if you will say yes, I will give you eternal life. The best offer ever. It is an offer, and so here you are. It's some of you, it may be 5 p.m. You may have said no lots of times. The day does end. 6 p.m. does come. And if you haven't ever accepted the offer, there can't be a wage paid. And if today it's 5 p.m., and you're like, I said no when I was four. I said no when I was 14. I said no when I was 24. I said no when I was 44. If you still got breath, the offer's on the table. Jesus says, come follow me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you please...
Give us some understanding of just how kind and generous and loving you are. Lord, I pray right now. Lord, I pray for those who came at 6 a.m. Thank you for them. Lord, help us to realize that it was a gift at 6 a.m. And all this work that we've been doing has been your kindness to us. Lord, I pray for those who came at 9 a.m. and for those who came at noon. Lord, for those who came at 3, help them not to feel like second-class citizens. Help them not to regret the fact that they didn't join until 9 or 12 or 3. Thank you, God, that you're so generous. And for any here this morning, Lord, for whom it's 5 p.m. And the day is closing. Today, Jesus, would you make that offer one more time? And God, would you, as they see your generosity, would you help them to accept? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.